0: Tonight we're beginning a new study on the Great Tribulation, and I don't know how many end-time enthusiasts out there? Do we have anybody that's an end-time enthusiast? Just Tina? Tina, the only one? All right. <laughs> I'm an end-time enthusiast, so I don't know about you. <laughs> I like, uh, I've read a lot on creation, I've read a lot on the end times, so uh, um, one of my favorite subjects. And there's just too much to like cover everything all at once. So I figured somebody had asked the question, and I we're just going to focus on this one thing, and and uh, we'll see where it takes us. But uh, we're going to study this tribulation period, and or the great tribulation, and we'll see. We'll try to make a distinction uh, as we move through this. And uh, I just have to say that uh, how many of you, has anybody here read The Left Behind? Series. Anybody in here read the Left Behind series? All right, I read all the Left Behind series books, so uh, so I'm familiar with with that. Um, anyway, uh, I I hope you don't get mad at me because <laughs> I don't always hold the same position as uh, some of these other things. And I and I used to hold the position of the Left Behind series, but I don't anymore. Not I shouldn't say the whole thing. I'm not dismissing the whole thing, but you know there are some important differences. So as we go through this, if you get upset with me, just pull out your copy of The Left Behind and you can read it read it again, or some other some other book, um, or you could just kind of tune out or fall asleep while I'm talking. That's okay too. So uh, anyway, well, uh, if you know me, you know I try to be as true uh, to the scripture as possible, rather than you know just bringing in everything from outside and trying to make it fit. So I try not to do that. So we'll uh, try to take this. As uh, analytically as possible, and try to understand what the Bible says about this, and you know everything else that we address here. So we're talking about the tribulation period, and before we get to some of the details of that, we want to look at uh, look at it a little bit more broadly. So, what does tribulation mean? And, and I think sometimes the way people use it is there's this idea, well, you know, whenever this word occurs, it specifically means something, which is really not the case. So when we're talking about tribulation, we're really reflecting on a common word that's used in the New Testament. That means trouble, oppression, affliction, and tribulation. It can mean persecution. It's just a really broad word to uh, refer to the trouble that we go through as believers or as people or whatever. It's a very common word. Now, end-time enthusiasts take this word, and of course they attach it to this period of time that happens just before Jesus comes, and so they call it the tribulation or they call it a great tribulation, and they talk about, you know, are you mid-trib or post-trib or pre-trib, and maybe you're familiar with some of those terminologies. So uh, it's, it's a very um, common term, and yet it can be very loaded when you're talking about the end times. So, like I said, it's a very common term, and it's used throughout the New Testament a number of times. And so we'll just uh, kind of look at this a little bit. Now, on a broader scale, believers will experience tribulation. Believers will experience tribulation. And I'm using this in just the very generic term. So let's look at some passages of scripture. We're going to I'm going to have some of the scriptures here on the screen and then on others since that are maybe a little bit longer, we're going to turn to the Bible for them. So you'll need you can look up here and you'll also need your Bible to refer to the passages of scripture. So the first one is John chapter 15 verses 19 through 20. And Jesus said this, and what Jesus is doing in this passage is he is reflecting the tribulation or the trouble or the affliction that believers are going to have in this world. So it says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So we see a fundamental uh, expression of Jesus here that the world loves its own. So uh, because they hated Jesus, since we are believers, they're also going to hate us. And because they hated Jesus, they persecuted him. because they hate us as believers, they're going to persecute us also. So this is what Jesus is saying here in this passage. Let's turn to another, this is in 2 Timothy this time, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it kind of, uh, this passage in Timothy carries along the idea that Jesus expressed here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 14, 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 10, it says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, Love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and now here's the one that, here's the verse, verse 12 that applies to us. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Now there's some a couple of interesting points here with respect to our topic tonight. First of all, he says, notice how he says that um, men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And I think that this is one of the verses that we can use in support to show us or to express to us that as we move closer and closer to the return of Christ, things are going to get worse and worse. Why? Because men are going to grow more and more evil. And if they are more and more evil, and they are of the world, and the world hates Jesus, then there uh, can be the expectation that there is going to be this persecution that comes upon the believers as well. And that's what it says in verse 12. It says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So if we are going to live for Jesus, the brighter our light shines for Jesus, the more of a reaction we are going to get from the world. Now now this is kind of convicting for us because we can kind of remain on the down low as Christians and, and really our light isn't shown anywhere, you know, that we don't open our mouths too often. We're kind of quiet people or or maybe, you know, when we uh, go to work. We do our jobs. And we don't stir up any trouble, and we don't say anything. And, and if and if we remain down low like that, then people don't really know what it is that we stand for or, or uh, who we represent. And if they don't know, then they might not say anything or do anything towards us. But if we let our light shine, the brighter it shines, or the more, more vocal we are. Or, the more we stand up against some of the sins and the, the things of the world, then we 're going to elicit a response from them, and we shouldn 't be surprised for that so as a, we shouldn 't be surprised by that, so as we live godly in Christ, we will suffer persecution so this is this is what this passage um, expresses now the In the New Testament, there are examples, there are are 45 references, this word is used 45 times, so it's, like I said, it's a pretty common word in the New Testament. And in these 45 occurrences, uh, we see this idea of persecution or trouble just kind of being expressed more and more. So if we can go, we can go to several other passages, Matthew chapter 13, verse 21. So the first two verses we looked at talk about specifically as Christians, we can expect trouble and tribulation and persecution and affliction and all of that. But there are also some broader uh, 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 uses of the word. Now, I, I want to make a distinction. When we talk about persecution and we, when we consider the Great Tribulation, we often associate that with this great persecution against maybe Christians or against the world. Um, the, word, the word tribulation, like I said, is a, is a broad word, and it can be applied to non-persecution kinds of trouble. So we might go through a period of trial or a period of of temptation or a period of, of affliction, and that's not necessarily persecution that we're going through. So when we talk about persecution, we're talking about somebody giving us a hard time for our faith. That is persecution. And I have to say that as Americans in the United States right now, even though it is a little bit different and has heated up a little bit, we basically do not experience much persecution for our faith. You know what I mean? There, aren't, there, there have been no laws preventing us from having church and, and uh, so on and so forth. So there hasn't been this direct persecution. We, we really have a whole lot of freedoms still, even though, like I said, things are heating up. And uh, it can change very quickly, and, and I anticipate as we go down the road uh, that uh, maybe some of our laws are going to change, and you know we're going to be more and more persecuted. Can you think? Of ways in which Christians are being persecuted now, that maybe is a little bit different than maybe five years ago or ten years ago. Is, are, are there examples of persecution for our faith, for Christianity, that we can see in our culture? All right, uh, Lois. Okay. So, so what's the persecution against believers there? Okay. Yes, that's right. We've seen that on the news. Sarah? And also, there are a lot of restrictions. Yeah. You can't express your Christian views in public institutions. And if you express your Christian views simply stated as your views, you get labeled and you get verbally recommended. Okay, that's right. So, we, we have these examples of, well, we're being forced maybe to. Engage people that we might not normally engage, and we're being forced to be silent, to keep silent in the workplace. Anything else? Is the workplace the only place where the pressure to be silent is being exerted? All right, schools, the the workplace. Okay, pastors. Well, that's interesting. I I was reading a book. this was this. It's been a while, but in this book, it was a novel, and um, the the government was requiring pastors to submit their transcripts, their manuscripts for their sermons beforehand for approval in order to allow. Then, this is fiction. When I read this book, but who knows if they're going to require that, or, or maybe you know somebody will start uh, scanning audio files for key words and, and start to, to mark, you know, certain pastors and certain churches as, as being uh, um, against the cultural movement. Um, there have been examples of pe- preachers, evangelical preachers, who were asked to speak in an, at an event, but then as, you know, people did listen to their messages beforehand, and if there was anything against the homosexual movement, there's one uh, particular person I'm thinking of. He was he had been asked to speak at this public event, and then when they discovered this about his views and his teaching, he was uh, not allowed to speak at the event. And they found somebody else. So that's a, an example of persecution against him directly, and then you know indirectly to the rest of us, you know, pastors or preachers or you know Christians who hold certain positions. Sarah. Ah, and yeah. they maintained their right to choose who they wanted to do, wanted to do the housing right. anyway, um, and it was one of the reasons that they they now have their own network and so they can, they can get around that mm. now by making their own rules but because they were on, on HDTV they were supposed to comply with their rules and have so many gay houses Yeah. Huh. There was that reminds me of the duck, the duck people, mm-hmm. who were right? Duck Dynasty. That yeah, that yeah, yeah. There there was trouble with the Duck Dynasty, and I think they canceled it. And then there was all this controversy, and then they reinstated it because back then freedom of speech was important. <laughs> but I think this is the the other example of persecution that we're experiencing now. That even in the public arena, we are not free to express our position without being labeled as haters or homophobic or I don't know what other, you know, terms that they're using these days. So, uh, so I think that there is an incursion against Christianity, a persecution in the public arena and in the, in the workforce that is trying to silence us and to keep our Christianity from being expressed like maybe we might under normal circumstances. But thankfully, we we can still have church, and you know this this is a freedom that we can still enjoy for the moment. But um, anyway, uh, we we don't have besides that, we don't really have persecution as a whole. Now, some of us, uh, again, if our light is shining a little bit brighter, you know, some of us might experience some personal persecution from others uh, who we offend, and you know they get upset with us, and you know they give us some kind of persecution. Um, But as a whole, we don't have any limitations currently, I don't think. Uh, But uh, that might change uh, as, as we move closer and closer to the return of the Lord. So we have this, we have tribulation or affliction in a general sense when we go through trouble, but there's also tribulation that refers to specific persecution against Christians for their views. So there is that distinction there. As we look at some of these verses... We want to realize that the word is used in a broad sense. So, Matthew chapter 13, verse 21 says, Yet, now this is in the parable of the, the sower, you know, who casts out, uh, casts the, the seed on the ground. So, um, one of the, the seeds falls on a certain ground that's weedy, it says, Yet he has no root in himself, or maybe this is the rock one. He has no root in himself, but endures for for only a while, but for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So there is uh, the impact of of uh, trouble coming against a person, and he falls away from Christ. Acts chapter eleven, verse nineteen. Now this is uh, Stephen in Acts chapter seven. Uh, you remember Stephen was persecuted in verse in chapter eleven. It says now. Those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So here there's persecution that comes against the church at the time of Stephen's persecution, and it causes the church to scatter as they're preaching the word. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Uh, I'll start in verse 9. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, And, and notice the next one patient in tribulation or patient in trouble rejoicing sir um, sorry patient in tribulation continuing steadfastly in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality verse 14 bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse so in this passage there's a series of exhortations that are giving Given to us, so if you are struggling as to what God's will is, this is one of those passages that you can turn to in order to kind of discern what God's will is for you in your life. But notice one of them is when you're experiencing tribulation or trouble or affliction, be patient in it, which is another way of saying persevere through it. You know, persevere through your tribulation or your affliction. And this again, of course, is speaking of just general affliction that, and trouble that we might experience as Christians. Another passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. This is a fabulous passage of Scripture that is really an encouragement to those who go through uh, trouble in their lives. So it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. We see, You see that right there, That is uh, meant to kind of set the stage for the encouragement that we're going to receive. God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That's that's who he is. Therefore, uh, this is what he does. He comforts us in all our trouble that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So here's the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our tribulation so that we might be able to comfort someone else with that comfort we've received from God. So it's an encouraging passage there. If you're going through trouble or tribulation, um, receive God's comfort and take that comfort and pass it on to someone else. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. Now we've been studying 1 Thessalonians in our uh, Sunday morning Bible study. And this is one of the passages that we uh, came across it says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.6, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. And there's, there's the word for tribulation there. With joy of the Holy Spirit. All right, So they received the word, but there was persecution, there was trouble, there was uh, affliction that was going on as they received it. A little bit later in chapter 3, verse 3, it says, No one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. And again, this harkens back onto the statement that Jesus made. The world hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So, in a sense, according to this verse anyways, this is something that we have been appointed to. We can expect that it is going to happen to us. All right? Now, uh, besides, besides this normal affliction, I mean, there are several reasons why we are on the receiving end of this, and of persecution and trouble and affliction. But um, one of the things we haven't talked about is this enemy that we have. We have an enemy. He is the devil. He hates God. He hates all that belong to God. So putting aside the human element just for a moment, there is a spiritual component to the trouble and the persecution and the affliction that we experience. So be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So the encouragement of this verse is like, look, you've got this enemy that's out there and he is seeking to destroy us or to give us a hard time at least. So be alert, be awake, be on the lookout. Don't just you know go traipsing through the jungle there without uh, you know, any consideration that there might be you know, some trouble awaiting you. So the devil is like that, and of course he uses all of, um, all of the tools at his disposal in order to cause us to trip up. And really, I, I guess we could categorize the trouble that the devil gives us uh, into, you know, some broad categories here. So uh, personal trouble, you know, trouble with other people, that, that is a, a common trouble that we have to experience. Uh, health trouble, that is another common experience, you know, trouble that we have to experience. Um, maybe trouble with uh, um, just our, our things, you know, just, you know, that, that is a trouble that we might uh, experience. So we, we can kind of generalize them into just a few broad categories that all of us, you know, the trouble that all of us are facing just kind of fall into one of these categories, there aren't very many unique kinds of situations that we fall into. And so the devil, you know, he knows how to tempt us, you know, trouble through temptations to sin. That's another one. Um, you know, he knows how to use these tools in order to bring trouble upon us. So be alert, be sober, be vigilant, because he's, you should know, he's, he's out to cause you to stumble and to try to trip you up. But one thing is true, and this is where where Romans chapter 8, verse 35 is just a great verse here. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, and here it is, shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? And he goes on in this passage. It's a great passage. But the answer is no. Tribulation shall not separate us from the love of Christ. He is bigger than all of these things. He knows what we're going through and we can trust Him. He, we, we can know that He loves us and that He is with us and that this, whatever it is, will not take us away from Him. Even if we should die, right? I mean, for the world, death is like kind of the ultimate, the ultimate uh, attack that you can make against someone. But for the Christian, it is not the ultimate attack. So, uh, Jesus said, "Don't fear them who can kill the body; fear him who can cast, you know, the soul into, you know, death and hell." So we, we need not fear those who try to uh, give us uh, trouble. So, like I said, we have a certain amount of uh, freedom currently. We experience these broad. I have these. I haven't read all the verses. This is just kind of a sampling. I said there were forty-five of them, but uh, just read a few of them. So we may experience some pers- personal persecution. But uh, we all have to we can all know that we're experiencing just you know affliction and trouble in general as well. Um, now, when we look at our study in particular, we are looking for this great tribulation period, that is a period of time that is at the end times, and it is specific, and it is a worldwide kind of tribulation against believers and maybe against others as well. That happens just before the end times. So we're dealing with the end times, and for me, in my mind, that whenever you're talking about the end times, the first place you should go is where? The Bible. Where in the Bible? The book. In... That's what I think. The book of Revelation in the Bible. If you're going to talk about the end times, the first place to go, naturally, is the book of Revelation. Because after all, we have this whole book that is dedicated to the end times, right? So why not start there? That's where I like to start. So that's what we're going to do. And uh, we're going to start our study in the book of Revelation. It is the first go-to place, if you will, when you're studying the end times. And my uh, my approach is this. We should take all of the prophecies that are given in Scripture and we should try to understand them in light of what Revelation says. That that's how we should, we should do it. Revelation is our starting point. It is our structure. It is our template. It is the place where everything is most clearly, yeah, I said clearly with respect to Revelation, but it is the place that is most clearly speaking of the end times. And so we should uh, use that as our template and then try to work everything else in light of what the book of Revelation Says. Now, I don't mean that the book of Revelation is clear. It is uh, just as muddled in my head as anything else I've ever read. And, and honestly, I have to go forward in this discussion on the Great Tribulation with some humility because I don't know what's going to happen. I, all I can do is just try to read the, the verses that are given to us and, and speak of these things and understand them the best I possibly can. So, again, if you find something that I say that is different than what you have always been taught, then just kind of let it go if you can. Don't get mad at me. Um, and we'll, we'll just try to, to work for it. Or, you know, just kind of piece it into what you already know. That's okay. Well, this is hard to understand stuff, so we'll do the best that we can. Now, I'm making some assumptions about the book of Revelation. There are different ways to interpret the book of Revelation and so we have to I'm just going to lay these out. I'm not going to take time to show you why I hold to these uh, presuppositions concerning the book of Revelation. First of all, I believe that it is revealed by God. Now, this is uh, you might say, well, duh, you know it's part of the Bible, but uh, you know this this kind of gets um, mud, mud, muddled up in in the discussions on of the end times and whether or not there really are end times and all of that kind of stuff. But uh, anyway it's just really important to affirm that as a matter of fact the book of revelation is probably the most explicit book where god is clearly revealing the information to his to his servant john there there is no other book that so clearly makes this connection that God is the one who is showing all of these things to John, giving him the instruction to do what? To what? To what? Tell the to, to write it down and tell, it, tell everybody. He's, God is revealing it, and John is instructed, write what you hear and write what you see, and send it to the churches. There is no other book that is so direct like that for such a large amount of uh, Scripture. But nevertheless, I was just reading a book on Revelation that completely ignored that God was the writer of the book and just kept on saying, John did this, John said that, and John said this, and treated it as apocalyptic and took all of the prophecy out of it. I'm like, you're supposed to be an evangelical Christian and... You know, you're just kind of passing over all of these. I can't do that. So, I don't know how anybody could do that, but maybe I'm just kind of faulty. See, again, you know, maybe I'm just faulty in the way that I approach Scripture, but to me, Revelation is just so directly from God, John's just recording what he's hearing and seeing, and that's how it is given. So I'm making that assumption. It's revealed by God. Secondly, I am assuming it is prophetic. This is not just a... Uh, Apocalyptic literature meant to encourage those who are going through a hard time. I do believe it specifically reveals the end times and the return of Jesus Christ. All right, so I'm making that assumption, and also um, I am taking a combination of a literal approach and symbolic approach to understanding the Book of Revelation. I'm not. uh, Some people want to take only a literal approach. Some people want to take only a symbolic approach, and I don't think that you can do either one of them by themselves. There has to be a combination of that. So uh, you'll see that. You'll see, and it's kind of natural as you go through it. I think we automatically do it without even realizing what we're doing. And of of the books, and I've read not just one, but I've read several recently. Of all the books, um, it is hard to be consistent. So this last book, for example, talked about uh, how... We should take take the symbolic approach, and yet he, he could not avoid going back to the past and inter, and interpreting part of his book with respect to the nations, and going forward and looking at the judgment to come. Okay, so you can't. It's really hard to you. You just cannot do one or the other. There has to be a combination of both. All right. So uh, those are some assumptions in my approach to the book of Revelation. And I don't think they're uh, way outlandish there, but anyway, that, that's kind of what we're going to do. The next thing that we're going to do, starting next week, is this third point. And like I said, Revelation is our starting point, right? So we're going to take this, this term, tribulation, and we're going to find all of the occurrences in the book of Revelation and see what they say to us. So that's, what that's where we're going to start. And we'll do that, Lord willing, next time.